Hi, and welcome to the Seamless Blend, digital textile dialogues with Gabby and Jorgen. Our primary purpose is to educate and initiate discussions. The opinions expressed are solely our own and do not constitute professional advice or services. We invite contributions from our audience and maintain an open community on Discord. Hello, Gabby. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be on our second live episode that's live streaming officially. Yes. We've told people Welcome now. Welcome everyone that has joined in, if if any. Uh, we try to uh, yeah, make it a bit more public this time that we've, uh, we're doing this. And so this is the first time we're really doing it kind of live in this way, which is exciting. Yes. So this episode is what do you mean there is gravity in 3D? So that was my idea to basically sort of say... I didn't know we we're going to have to deal with all these difficult things when we're making digital twins of physical materials. This is my comedic way of saying, all right, we've got quite a lot to think about, basically. So just as a reminder, we are specifically focusing on digital twins of physical fabrics. That's what we're doing in this podcast. So yeah, yeah. we've had a few responses about digital materials. You asked, you had a little yeah. survey, I think. Um it's been interesting to hear what people are saying. Uh, so maybe we can we could start off uh, briefly with that in the beginning, just to just to recap a little bit what you know what kind of questions and feedback and things we've been getting. And it seems like overall, um, um, it's been you know like we've been getting a lot of really positive feedback. But it's good to maybe clarify also you know as you've already said, we're talking about really digitizing physical fabrics, and that's also going to be important for this particular episode and even you know going into that title that that you've. Um, as you mentioned, it's, it's, you know, like when we deal with physical fabrics, there's a lot of behavior uh, in about how that fabric moves. Uh, like, you know, if you hold it up in one hand or, or then it drapes in a particular way, uh, there's, you know, certain visualization aspects of the material, how it reflects light and how you see exactly. color and, and all of these things. And so, yeah, that's what we're really going to be talking a bit more about today um, is uh, kind of how do we, what are these things and how do we actually how do we actually capture them and how do we go from a physical fabric that we hold physically in front of us into yeah. a digital fabric we see on the screen? So hopefully we can clarify on a few of those things. Well, this is something that we spoke about as well, breaking it up into three parts. So you've got like the appearance, the behavior, and then the data. So I think it's traditional to think about the appearance of the material. And we're going to talk about the capture methods around that. The behavior mm -hmm. of the material, what it actually does in 3D, like whether it responds the way we would expect that physical fabric to respond. And then the third thing, which we're both really, I think, keen to focus on as well, is the data around it. So not just like the mm. kind of standard data, but any kind of like impact assessment data you can add into it just to make digital assets valuable within our supply chain conversation and adding value to all of those digital assets. They're not just a design asset, which is very easy to be like, oh, just give it to the designer over there. They'll be fine. They can work it out. It's actually mm. thinking about how those assets are really valuable within the entire supply chain. Um, first off, we're going to think about capture methods. I think you were going to give us a brief overview about capture methods before we think about all the different yeah. types. Yes, uh, we did talk about this. Uh, it's just also even like, you know, recapping what we said is that capture methods, first of all, that we talk a bit about is this like, how do we capture? And by by capture methods, we also really talk about appearance uh, essentially how a material looks like, like how a fabric, like what do you see with your eyes when you look at a fabric? Yeah. And 
what we see, like it's it's a very subjective experience. We know anything from you could say, you know, people might have they might people might be colorblind and might see colors differently, or you know, like this. We have a very different way of experiencing the world. So a big challenge is also like how do we then capture a material, bring it in digitally, or create it, um, create a digital version of it, and make sure that we all see the same thing and work with the same thing, especially you know, like when we collaborate and share this. So. Capture methods is very much about how do we how do we capture the appearance of a physical real world material, and there's some very established ways of of doing that. Uh, one mm-hmm. I think important concept to introduce from the beginning is what is like a lot of people might come across this term uh, PBR, physical based rendering. These are kind of standards. We won't go with so much into detail on that today, but these are standards uh, that are used in the industry. And this PBR very often comes together with texture maps. And that's also something we're going to be referring to quite a lot today. Texture maps are essentially, again, we won't go too technical, but are are image files that each almost like reflect or or showcase and highlight a certain aspect of the material. So for example, like, you know, different maps have different properties or different uses in how we simulate or showcase like how a material looks digitally when you bring it into a 3D environment. Um, so that yeah. is really like I guess you know like it's important here also to think about um, we try to not make it too too conceptual but think about light like light source where is the light coming from how strong is the light these things very important to to mention quite a lot bring this in mm. I was just going to say so quite a lot of this was really new to me when I was going from physical textiles or me too two D two D creation of textiles into three D creation of textiles because mm. I wasn't trained in understanding that within a three D environment you have a light source right you're you're in a black void black hole if you want until you put a light source into a three D environment so it, first of all it was me understanding okay we have a light source which then will shine light and then there will be reflections at some points and then mm. what are you reflecting mm. off are you reflecting into the wide world are you reflecting back into a studio box so yeah the maps became i always end up calling them maps i think of them like layers if you use photoshop they're like layers in photoshop you'd have Mm -hmm. to when you do the repeats for any of these materials you have to tile them the same way we're used to tiling a physical fabric so like for my brain going from 2d to 3d i was like they have Mm -hmm. to be in repeat they're reflecting light and then the other thing it's thinking about which we're not again we could maybe do a maybe we'll do a whole other podcast just on maps but about (laughs) like height and what happens to the map when you look across it on the side? Does it have height to it? Does it have little yeah. hairy bits? Does it have a displacement yep. on it? Um, mm, so we're mm. not going to deep dive into those maps today. And we've got gamers out there who can tell us all about shaders and they are insanely experienced on those things. For mm. us, this is what maps do we have available to us that we can in the direct in the capture methods that we have available to use today that are realistic for the time frame and the cost for the supply chain. That's what we're going to yeah. go into really. Good summary. So, so you know, as you say, like when we say capture methods, we're really talking about like how do we create these maps? Um, and, and I think you actually mentioned something that's really important because this is something that like I had to learn also when I came into 3D. Is this almost like, you know, w- and maybe just to clarify for anyone that wonders this about digital materials is that 3D works in this way, you know, in the physical world, we go outside and take a walk and you come across an object like a rock or, uh, you know, a piece of furniture or something. And these, these are, they're made out of mass, like physical mass. Um, 
But in the 3D world, when we talk about, you know, digital uh, materials and these things, you essentially have a certain shape of like, let's say, for example, like a chair. Uh, mm -hmm. One element of 3D is like shaping the chair. And this is often referred to as like the mesh or the 3D, like we actually build the shape of the chair. And then the second thing that you then do is that you have to then texturize the chair or you have to bring the materials into the picture. So I thought that was like, at least that was a big, like a little bit of a, like a moment early on for me. Then I realized that that's how 3D works is that, you know, it's mm -hmm. like clay, you mold the chair or the product or, you know, like whatever you're making, you mold it and it becomes almost like this, this, uh, this mesh. And then you have materials that you introduce to it so that you can now suddenly, you know, swap that chair from being a wooden chair to a metallic chair is coming down mm -hmm. to the digital material that's applied to it. And this is also very essential to, I think this, you know, everything we talk about in this podcast yeah. in general. So just wanted to, to yeah. clarify that. So coming into then, like, how do we create these, this, this, this texture or this digital material and these maps? And I'm going to try to be a bit short on this because we could probably go into, you know, a, a separate episode on each of these maybe later on. Uh, but I, I have just thought of it uh, as like three different lenses or boxes or perspective. Hopefully this is useful for someone else when, you know, you can evaluate different technologies that are used to generate maps. I tend to try to think of them as like there's three distinct boxes that I put them into. And one is direct capture where you're essentially kind of capturing the physical world around you. For example, very often using a camera. This is where you know, yeah. photograph the world. Yeah. Um, another one is something that's been coming up a lot more in the last year, and, and which is like AI. And, and you can also refer to it as approximation, which is where very often... Uh, you have a like a reference, um, like a reference image. Let's say, for example, yeah. like in a lot of cases, flatbed scanners are used. So you put your material into a flatbed scanner, and then you just get a very flat image of the material. And then with AI or this approximation, very often we then you know synthetically. This is not a term that's used. Like we synthetically generate the maps, versus in direct capture, it's more about. Um, you know, being able to generate it from the data that you actually captured rather than like synthesize them based on what you find yeah. kind of have available in your database. And then we have this really interesting, and you actually told me something, I think it was last week, you know, that after a conversation you had where we keep learning more things. There's a third box, which is procedural texture generation. It's a bit, a bit like almost like seemingly technical word when we now talk about them. But procedural is more like when you build a material, a digital material from building blocks for example like in the physical world you weave or knit most materials from yarn um and yeah. uh, in procedural texture generation you could for example like you know you start with a yarn define the yarn type and specifications of the yarn and then like weave and knit uh lots of cool software in that space it's, it's definitely you, the holy yeah. grail if we could ever get there a hundred percent yes yeah the downside, as we've discussed also last week, was just how like it can become quite technical. Like you need to maybe almost be a bit of a textile engineer or have some like you need to at least be quite technically interested to learn how to construct uh, materials in this yeah. way. And the way that I, at least I understand it, I, we would love to hear from you know other people out there uh, if if you have other um, other kind of interpretations. But one thing that I've come across also in very much like in the digital only fashion space, like gaming and metaverse and applications like you know digital only it's also procedural can often be used yeah. for materials that are just generated digitally like for example like we've seen even uh, you know last few years like nft uh fashion items these things where you know someone's wearing a dress made out of fire 
Like you couldn't reproduce yeah, that dress made out of fire, but that would be a bit of like a procedural. Uh, exactly. Or any of the videos we see where the yarns are kind of like knitting themselves together or weaving themselves and then unweaving themselves or any of those points, which, and they are, I used to be very skeptical about procedural texture generation, if I'm honest. As a textile yeah. designer, as a weaver originally, I was like, well, if you've not caught it from the original, it can't be right. I, I was very <laughs> skeptical, if I'm honest. Um, so I'm sure there's lots of people out there who are as well. Um, and But I know people who are um, doing really interesting work in substance. And then I've recently been introduced to people who are, I haven't met them all yet, so I can't give any names out, but people who are building the materials from the yarn up and that yarn mm. has the properties of physical yarn which means that material mm. in 3d will have the properties of that material in 3d so that to yep. me is super super interesting um and i also feel that my skepticism should be thrown out the window because it was from ignorance i think rather than knowledge if i'm honest i'm trying to be really honest about like where my skepticism yeah. is coming from uh yeah. so I think procedural textual generation, it's out there. We can discuss it more. Um, but mm. maybe now, thinking about direct capture, you mentioned something about, well, what skills do you need to do these things? And that was quite interesting to me because we mm. do, in Bureau, we do lots of direct capture. Direct capture. Exactly. We exactly. use a Visu's uh, X um, scanner with the X-Tex technology. We use Bandicoot's um technology as well and so that's a lot of direct capture so it's like what skills do you need who do you need to be can you pick this up easily um and from from an experience point of view if you understand textiles and graphics these are systems that are, you can pick up right it, it, we shouldn't mm. be scared of them uh, if you understand repeats if you understand tiling photoshop layers lots of those things then that knowledge mm. can just be taken sideways into the different um direct capture methods so yeah. i th i think we shouldn't be too scared of them if i'm honest no are there any other ones that you wanted to mention within direct capture it's, it's well you mentioned i think of course also like the different alternatives with uh and like you know but we say but direct capture is very often involved in the camera so you you know like mm. you need a camera um for example like with with a visu you have the the you know the x text so the, the machine the, the fabric scanner where you have a camera on top you have a box and you slide your fabric yeah. in uh, with bandicoot is essentially a frame and then you have a handheld camera with a flash on and then it's just a different approach to uh, you know yeah. uh, uh, the same kind of kind of process and um, I think in in that space, there's I think previously we've we've seen a lot of use of uh, X Write. Um, have had a yes. machine called the Tax Seven, or still have a tech machine called the Tax Seven. Uh, it's been rather uh, quite expensive, and and it, I, my understanding is that that machine was created really for um, kind of paint or coat pa painting uh, on cars, and to be yes. able to like really it's a circular system. Yeah. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. I think we're not we're not here to kind of go within the like the pros and cons of like selling you one of these no. direct capture methodologies. I just want to be really, really clear. Um, I know what I've used. I'm I've seen videos of the tax seven. I've not used it. It's out of my pay. It's out of my region for for pricing. But it's very much obviously out there within, you know, automotive and, and, and um, home as well. Yeah. Um, thinking, I guess, about other methods, I've done some investigation into the AI. And yeah, the assisted, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. yeah, the assisted ones as well. So this is my own personal explorations into um, VMOD Fabric Generator, which has been super interesting, which VMOD mm -hmm. is part of Clo, if people are familiar. I'm sure you're familiar with Clo, and it was under beta testing, uh, and there was a way of 
submitting your fabric and through that you could then essentially sort of disseminate the maps from the just a flat image of that fabric so that was mm. using i'm assuming their libraries their backend data to generate the maps from your image that was one mm. option the other option is prompts which was super interesting so you could prompt the material or you could prompt the generator to get the material you wanted. I had less success with the prompts, probably because I wasn't as good at prompting than I did with mm. inputting an actual material. Uh, so that was that worked as a solution. I think it's quite well priced at the moment. Whether it stays well priced, I don't know. I'm not here to sell it, mm. but uh, it was very interesting around creating those maps and coming out for like the design ideas. Very much so. Frontier yeah. Cool with the Epson scanner as yeah. well uh, is very yeah. has has been quite interesting. I haven't done a lot of research into them recently though, but we did some work previously. So it's understanding yeah. that there's so many avenues that people could go down for this direct capture, especially if you're um, really price conscious, right? I think mm, mm. because if you if you if essentially if you're offered an iPhone scanning version tomorrow yeah a lot of people are going to go for that as an as a starting point right because that's what we've yeah. all got to hand it needs to be easy it needs to be scalable it needs to be usable so i mm. think the com what we're going to see is that combination of that ai moving into direct capture this is what i'm hoping we're going to see i don't work at the yeah. technology company yeah, yeah, yeah. But i can hope right mm. so i could see in the future that we'll have a direct capture method that will then use AI to support that, to enhance, maybe adjust the maps if you then want to do adjustments afterwards. Because just because you've made one material doesn't mean you're never going to want to generate that again or use that again. So mm, I think the mm, blending mm. of AI into that direct capture method is going to open up lots of different things for us, if I'm honest. Yeah. Like you say, also, I think that's a really interesting point you made with, oh, I guess I could say, it was like I, I, I do work for a technology company, but this is not yes, like I'm not a techno technologist. <laughs> uh, so this is like what, what I feel a big part of my job is trying to take really technical scientific, uh, you know, concepts. And I have to make, try to like figure out what's my version of it. That's like the non-technical version. And my understanding of a lot of like exactly what you talked about with direct capture and approximation is that, you know, in order to have a, da a database or let's say a data set to reference, like for the AI or an approximation for to reference, a lot of that data is actually direct captured. Like you have to build up a database of materials yeah. that are captured according to almost like, you know, classic direct capture methods. And yeah. then you 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 digitize a, a, like a, a reference image, often with a flatbed scanner. And then that image is then used to kind of reference this database and there's lots of like you know magic and ai and, and uh according to my you know the way that i, I like to try to keep it simple uh, and then this magic happened where you like you reference this reference image that you then have against this uh, data set and then it generates or, or like you know synthesizes these texture maps based on that so there is already an existing relationship between direct capture and approximation in that sense and i think that that's just going to be something we'll see more and more of is that we'll see bigger and bigger data sets of direct captured materials that can then mm. be used to reference against you know these reference images using approximation or ai technology so that they kind of go hand in hand yeah and i wonder if some of this we just won't need to worry about in five years time we won't need to worry so much about not the method but how how it's happening because right now we're right in the weeds of everything right we're really kind of like trying to understand what's the best method how can we blend it with this mm. can we get a workflow that works for us but maybe in five years time there'll be those underpinned workflows that we won't have to worry about anymore it's a bit like you know we have windows because we don't have to write code to open up we don't have to do write the code mm. to do file open because we have windows or whatever system we have so yeah. i wonder if it's going to become a bit like that 
one can only hope uh, for all of us in the textile world that it becomes a bit like that where it will just some of that those pain points will be taken away or some of that some of that decision making will be taken away from us because it'll be like mm. we these are the maps that we know need to exist and then here yeah. is a really good way to create them and for these types of materials this is what you're going to use because yeah. on our side we, right now we'll use different dif different capture methods depending on the material because yeah. some come better in other materials and some for example, if I need to do a two meter by three meter material, like a sari, for example, with some of the jamdanis mm, we've done, mm. um, I can't do that in, in many systems. I can do it in Bandicoot, which is great, but I can't do it in lots of other systems because I can't cut up a vintage sari down into mm, tiny little mm. squares and, and scan it. So that's just the reality of where we're going to go within the industry. You know, what method will we use for this capture method? What works best for this material? Um, yeah. The fashion industry really likes to have a one one size fits all. But again, it's a similar thing of like, you go to your yeah. lingerie factory to make your lingerie and you go to your denim factory to make your denim. I don't think we're yeah. ever going to have everything through one system. I could be wrong. Maybe I will be proven wrong, which. Yeah, no, I think we might have to have technology to help us like as, you know, intermediary to trying to distribute like the lingerie orders to the lingerie factory and the denim orders yes. to the denim factory. Maybe it'll just potentially, do it that but... way. Not to make the lingerie in a denim factory and so forth, you know, like I think that might, uh, people might <laughs> come up with something that's a bit different. Um, but I, you know, I think, I think maybe just to quickly recap almost like, you know, direct capture, the benefit, like the pros and cons is then essentially direct capture, you then need to have a device and a process, very often a camera, um, and these technologies are readily available. You can pick them up. They're quite easy to, to learn. They come at different price points uh, and you, the essence is essentially like you capture what you see using these, this device, and then you yeah. generate a, a material that is an accurate and true to life and kind of scientifically calibrated that should be objectively, you know, a digital material that, that everyone can work with approximation is great with because of speed that you can do something very very quickly you can generate or synthesize the materials but the downside is that it might not necessarily always be as accurate this could improve with greater yeah. better quality data sets and all these things so that's just something you know like where i think direct capture and approximation will go hand in hand and procedural texture generation is fantastic like you say almost like the holy grail in terms of like you can really build a digital material from almost like you know the components of the, of like the yarn of the fabric but yeah. this, at the same time you might need much more technical expertise to go there so and also like you mentioned I, or i'd love you know let, let me fill in maybe if you if you uh, you know can add to that but a lot of people might ask you know how do i decide which one is for me uh, and i think yeah. that it comes down to which angle you're coming from very often for companies you have to define what your requirements are before you go into it so that you can choose a technology accordingly um exactly. and then you have to understand just really what's important for you and and uh I don't know if you have any good examples of how you do this at, at, at Bureau and how, you know, it, on your day-to-day -day, uh, you make well, these it's, decisions. It's kind of interesting. So uh, we have a couple of companies that come to us with very clear workflows and they know exactly what they want their workflow to be. They want it to be scanned through a certain type of system. They've set the resolution. It's going to either be in full color or grayscale. It's prepared in a certain way and it goes straight into the mm. BLN because that's defined and ready to go. But if we work with a a fair number of small independents who are beginning to uh, beginning to experiment in this area. And at that point, we offer different solutions. So it could be that we offer a really like low cost solution for them as well, because different different capture options cost different um, 
obviously have different bands of cost. So mm. depending on what the customer's requirement is around cost and time and efficiency, that's how we choose. We also look at where's this material going to go? What, what software is it coming into? If it's going into mm. Clo and Browser and its final render is in Clo and Browser, that only renders it to a certain level. If it's being taken out, as in, sorry, I should make that really clear. Clo and Browseware will only render it to a certain level because it's staying within the Clo and Browse Clo and or Browseware or Octotext or Style 3D ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. If we're then going to take it out of that ecosystem and move it into, let's say, Unreal Engine or something else, we mm-hmm. might have different requirements from our customer on what that actual map and materials have to be made from. We're not mm-hmm. there really at, the, at that point. We're, we're still kind of like rendering in Clo and Browseware with a bit of V-Ray, but that you can see that that's where where it's going so we're doing mm. we've done a project with some people who are rendering our materials onto ai models for example that's really different for us because there's different render settings that we need to respond to so yeah. it's understanding where's it where are you, where's your fabric going really yeah what ta- you know what's the cost that you can pay for it and and what what sort of workflow do you want to work with with the company uh, it's not yeah. clear yet like completely there's not one way is what I would yeah. say. So we work with our customers quite closely to see what they really need because we could go really in depth. And I use mm. an example mm. of like, am I going to take the Porsche to the corner shop, right? If I'm, yeah. You know, if it's really, do I need to? Does it need to be super high quality just for what I'm going to do? So it depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. And, yeah. And that's also where, you know, like things can get very technical. So I think also that, that you know, then you might require all sorts of different kind of technical uh, levels of expertise to go into all these things so that it's really helpful to work with someone that has done this before or, uh, you know, it can, it can, can like this, there's a lot of things there that you need to consider. So it's, it's uh, I think in, in particular in Bureau's cases, you know, like it, I always feel like if I have questions then I can, like, you know, I can, I know that you have experience with like across the board with many of these things. And it's really good to just have that input in the process. Every day is a school day. We're learning every day. We're yes. doing our best. And if we don't know, we'll, we'll investigate. I've just seen the time. We need to talk about yes. physics quickly because we did, exactly. we were supposed to be only 30 minutes. <laughs> it's really hard we have this goal of 30 okay. minutes and it's very hard but now okay so now we talked about capture methods apparence the different methods to actually capture appearance and generate these maps another very very important aspect of a digital material is the physics like you know like the way that it drapes in the real world how do we and this is you know really 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 almost like complicated stuff but we're going to try to make it not so complicated but you know like how do you simulate the way that a material you know flaps in the wind or, or how whatever would yeah. be in the real world in a software um maybe you know you have a good uh what is your simplest way of explaining that <laughs> yes okay so we're just gonna ignore gaming for now okay so all gaming people yeah. can be a little bit quiet for me if that's okay because essentially for the on within the softwares that we're going into we're basically looking at four key markers which is bend elongation weight and thickness those are the main things we look at so bending if any of those textile people out there that's the shirley stiffness tester we're used to measuring like bending on our materials it's not out of this world to do that elongation's the equivalent of tensile strength except you're doing it warp width and bias for 3d so again, if anyone's a bit worried about what does physics mean in 3D, these are actually standard tests that you can do with a, a te- textile testing house as well. So warp width and bias for bending. Then you've got your weight, which you're, you generally get with your materials. So that's quite good. And then thickness mm-hmm. is just the micron tester. So or the millimeter tester for the thickness. Then if you look at um, Browseware has stretch linearity. 
as well, which is an extra method they have within their browser fabric analyzer, which is a really sort of stable way of, of, of testing your materials. I haven't used, uh, I haven't used Optitext testing methods and I haven't used style 3d test methods. So I can only speak to Clem and Browser right now, but essentially mm. these are the things you're thinking about bending, elongation, weight, and thickness. And if you understand textiles, these are very understandable, um, methods. So we have textile technologists in our company and I sort of say to them, if I don't understand your report, can you look at them? And they're data people, they can just read them, they get it, even though they're yeah. talking about what it's doing in 3D rather than what it's doing physically. So that should hopefully give people some form of um, solace, I guess, to understand that it's not that difficult, <laughs> right? Um, and I think we've got, we, we, we do it in a couple of different ways. We do it with the machinery, the testing machinery, but then yeah. there's also databases that have been made so Visio have got a physics database which is populated mm. by about a thousand materials over a thousand materials now so that's really useful so it could mm. be useful for people out there who are not wanting to test or don't have the bandwidth to test all their materials there are databases that are being built up there are mm. paywalls there are certain things around that but those they do exist and i think as we go deeper into digital materials that information will become more shareable more collaborative I think there'll be people who are working on sort of open source versions of that as well within the digital mm. space. So that's quite a positive, I think, to note. Uh, and the last the last thing I want to say about testing mm -hmm. is that we could just add a few points onto a fabric test report and it would give you the information that you need for 3D, which mm. we're already testing our materials anyway. I used to supply MS, we had to test all their materials. So if you can do a fabric test report with just a couple more data points, you've essentially got all the testing that you need for 3D materials. And that's how we will make change in the industry by just adding something simple onto a process that we're already doing. And then we can pull the data from it. We can use it in 3D and we've got a reliable material that will actually drape and behave the way we expect it to. So mm. that's my mm. take. And I should yeah. leave now. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, no. Well, like we've said already, it's it's uh it's hard to really keep these conversations within within half an hour. But I think it's 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 you know the big question there again is also as you mentioned, like you can use a device to capture this data specifically of the material, like you have the physical material. Very often, these are destructive tests, so you're gonna have to like kind of cut up your material and actually like put them through a machine. It's the way you do like in a testing lab. I worked in textiles, you know, textile mills, um, and textile mills have have labs, and this is how they do their testing. So as you said, it could just be you know a part of the normal process. But 3D is still yeah. you know, and, and these processes are still again they're I would say you know relatively new, and we're also lacking a bit of standardization in this space. So this is something you know we talked about you know, and almost like you know how should we talk about this? But one big challenge we have is is this lack of a standard data set, and yeah. also a bit of a lack of 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 just like kind of a commonly standardized or accepted process of how you can maybe convert. Like if you have essentially the same, not the same data, but you you have physics data but captured for different purposes, you can necessarily convert yeah. them between each other. This would be something I think very useful. And then, of course, the, the the equipment used for this is also very. It's, it's something that you might have to buy from, uh, for example, like different vendors. And then yeah. that equipment can only capture data that can be used by one software, which makes it challenging for someone who, you know, let's say wants to digitize a fabric, wants to get the appearance in a universal file format, wants to get the physics in a universal kind of standardized format. Um, 
it's it's challenging because because you know one physics capture method can only really digitize physics for one specific workflow yeah. or software suite, and and yeah, that's just generally some of the the challenges we have in that space. I think you bring up a, a really good point. So there's two, there's the fact that we've got one software which uses a proprietary file format which doesn't speak to any other piece, any other software and then we have the other softwares which use an open file format which can be read uh visually anyway but maybe not those data points uh, mm. and you know let's i can just all i can do is throw that back to the technology companies and say please for all of our sakes can you talk to each other that would be really helpful i'm not mm. the only person who's going to ask that but that would be really helpful because we are replicating data sets at this moment in time so i might test it i might receive a material through the door and i might test it for one piece of software and then have to test it again for another piece of software because they don't read the mm. same data points which is mm. frustrating for someone and for a business that's trying to become efficient and reduce textile waste and reduce waste in the supply chain whether that waste is textile waste energy waste anything labor waste right yeah. we want to be able to be as efficient as possible so that's that is a big hurdle at the moment I will let the powers that be speak amongst themselves uh, and mm. decide if they want to go down that route. Uh, then also, if we think about the hardware, if you have to purchase specific hardware from a company, hardware gets mm. updated. We know hardware gets updated. Oh, yeah. I yeah. work with... And, and then we're used to our iPhones getting updated. That's fine. We're okay. Every couple of years, we'll update our iPhone. That's okay. Yeah. You don't but have to update. <laughs> you don't have. You, you could. Yeah. You could use. You could continue using it. And if we think about a manufacturer like a textile mill, for example, they've invested, you know, hundreds of thousands in a piece of machinery that can sit there for twenty years and work mm -hmm. day in, mm -hmm. day out. I've spoken to manufacturers who are like, but I just bought this piece of hardware, and now I have to upgrade it you know, a year and a yeah. half later because we're all moving forward quickly. So they feel a bit, this is a big generalized statement, but some of the manufacturers I've spoken to are a bit, a bit wary about investing in, in the hardware because they're like, oh, it's going to be updated. Mm. They'll have the, they don't have a later model, uh, sorry, mm. an earlier model. So that is a bit of a worry. I can't solve that problem apart from saying as long as we can be forwards compatible and backwards compatible into these, into these pieces of hardware, then that would at least yep. take away some of those those pain points. I think would be the main thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think this is, uh, and even just to mention that, not mentioning anyone in particular, but these are also relatively, again, of course, maybe not against you know a weaving loom or these things like you know like the prices you pay for that. But we're talking about you know five, six, seven, eight, ten, ten thousand dollars, like you know for this hardware. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's 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 not just something that you know an independent designer or studio would just would just purchase without really thinking about it, and then suddenly like it's 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 one thing is the manufacturers thinking about. Uh, the downsides of having to, you know, update this hardware all the time, but also in, you know, yeah. we're trying to make this with digital and just essentially to a lot of what we're talking about in general with 3D design, digital materials and these digital processes. It's also just making it possible for anyone with, you know, a laptop essentially to just uh, yeah. start to tap into this. And it's, 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 it's just creating a bit of, 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 uh, of a challenging situation for, for people on that side of the, um, of, of the space. Well, I think as well, considering, you know, the, if we think about maybe on the gaming side where if you've got a powerful enough, enough laptop, you can kind of like create insane assets yeah. essentially by yourself. Whereas we know at this point we are still with digital materials, we're still relying on external hardware to bring those things in. But there's, you know, mm. there's no way around that right now. So we're, we're still at that point. Should we, um, yeah. should we just touch on the data side of it? 
Yes, let's touch on the data and then maybe quickly just like recap a little bit more like how we bring all this together. And then I think we're going to have to, you know, come back to this in the next episode again. It's uh, there are probably so many things we could talk about or we're trying to make it in, you know, bite sizes. So let's talk (laughs) about data. Uh, We we had a big discussion about this because, you know, people talk about metadata and people talk about master data. Uh, Do you want to have a quick uh, recap of what we kind of... I'll probably get it wrong. Right? That's the problem. I'm just like, are we talking about metadata? Are we talking about master data? As we understand it, metadata is data about data. So we want to talk about the master data, which is the data inside of it, which we think is really valuable and, and should be part of the digital asset. So yeah, we're going to talk about metadata yeah. and or master data. I'm still not sure. Yeah. Uh, so product data is the first thing we were kind of thinking about. Um, mm. All of our digital assets have product data around them. So you've got your... Uh, technical data so you've got your composition your construction your yarn counts Mm. anything around the sort of like the construction of that material then you've got your sort of more business data needed for like the so the moq the width some minimum order quantity Mm. sorry the width country of origin the supplier all the things that you know merchandisers need to be able to lead time Mm. everything they need to be able to fulfill fulfill the order right and then Mm. The final point, which isn't really being addressed at the moment in any systems Mm. we're looking at fully, is this traceability and transparency data, which will roll up into the impact data, which could then Mm. roll up into reporting for the ESPR um, European legislations that are coming in. Mm. That's Mm. products that are on the market in the EU by 2026 have to have digital product passports. Yeah, uh, that's an episode in itself. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to go down that route right now, but no. <laughs> I think it's really important. It just makes sense. We are building files that are made out of data that yeah. add other data in the background, which will then go into whichever system you're using, into the PLM system. I'm actually about to do a project, hopefully, with Retraced, where we're looking mm. at the digital asset, and then we have the impact data as well, and then that gets rolled up into the system because we shouldn't consider these things separately the designer working mm. on the digital mm. asset the sustainability team working on the impact data they have to be working together otherwise we're never going to get there yeah yeah no i think i think there's there's a lot of untapped potential in this and 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 also maybe just to add to what you said like the product data and the technical data about the material itself very often comes from the fabric mill so at the moment right yeah. now you know a fabric mill produces a technical data sheet uh, it's very common and then if you if you get a sample of a material can you can even ask for a technical data sheet or if you make an order for a material you'll get a technical data sheet and that material can be or that data can be brought into this kind of into this data container and it mm-hmm. can you know, come together with these other, this other, um, you know, aspects of, of the data we talked about with capture methods and, and, and physics. And then business data is coming from, you know, also maybe from the fabric mill where they, you know, the fabric mill will tell you how much it costs per meter or yard. It will tell you what lead time it is and where it's produced and all these things. And then there's it, all of this impact data that very often I think other question that I often get, you know, like when we have public conversation about this is, you know, could we bake impact data into this and could we just pro- bring this in because then we would we would have a data container that the two off the two other dimensions that we now talked about are you know capture methods which is appearance, talk about physics which is kind of how it behaves, and then now we have this data on the side of it. That imagine if you bring all this into this one data container, 
And then yeah. we do this from the fabric mill because a lot of this, this is something we're probably going to be, could be talking a bit more about later on, you know, where would you do a lot of these processes? A lot of them are done at the fabric mill already, but imagine yeah. if a fabric mill, you know, produces a fabric and as that physical fabric comes out the, of the, you know, the production bond, uh, production, um, at that, at that, at that factory, uh, you can just bring it directly over into almost like a digitization center or as yeah. it's currently done, just like bringing it over into the testing lab. You can do all these things. You can now build this digital twin or this, this data set that kind of comes with it. And you have a physical fabric and a digital fabric, and you can yeah. then now let that digital fabric, that data container that you have there, you can let that travel together with the fabric. So you can take that data container and then with a the physical fabric you can then you know mm. give them to your garment factory for example both of them the garment factory would then you know construct a garment and do all the cut and cut and sew and these things they could maybe add more data into the container so that then the garment would then be able to have certain information about it and then you build you know a product passport or or however we wanted to you know Completely. like different legislations will have different maybe names for it or um but you kind of build that from the bottom up and i think this is something we're going to come back to later so yeah Building it from the bottom up, not retrospectively trying to get the information. And it's interesting you called it a data container because we've not specifically spoken about this until this conversation right now because we were going to let it yeah. lead it. <laughs> so I've been calling it a data vessel, right? So that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it's yeah. a container, it's a vessel, it's holding everything that we need and building it from the ground up as opposed yeah. to retrospectively trying to fit the information into it, which is where I want to be with making digital assets, like literally put a mistake in the ground on that one that's where i think the future of it is yes 100 and maybe we should even just almost like wrap it up on that that we that's where we yeah. are at the current date 20th of february right now you know until we we were uh we learn some more things but i'm sure we'll start learning more things already tomorrow but it's essentially a data vessel or a data container and then within this we have these three different elements which are appearance which we talked about and and how you create that appearance you have the physics the data about behavior and you have this master data metadata elements that you bake all together and then this becomes one file and for those like on a very low technical level this could mean you know like on your computer sometimes you might see you know a file that has you know dot pdf like that's a file and within that pdf you exactly. have lots of text that is kind of in under there and that text can be read by humans by like opening it up and this is just a, a file that maybe can be read by technology or you know these things so exactly yeah. I think that's a great place to end it. I just wanted to mention that the next episode, uh, which we're going to do yeah. on the 28th of Feb, is going to be called mm -hmm. I Want to Get Started But How. So we'll be looking at workflow, expertise, and the big topic of standards and integrations, which we sort of touched yeah. on today. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, I think so. For anyone that wants to understand a little bit more, like, you know, all these things that we just talked about, how do we... How did we actually get started uh, doing it? We're going to talk more about that. And we have also, uh, again, I'm going to refer quickly back to, we have a Discord community. If yes. you have questions, sign up. The link is going to be uh, you know, in the description or, or around here. We would love to hear you know questions or things you don't understand or feedback. And also we have a live, a little survey. We would love to understand you know, how you that's listening to here, even if you know, don't even work with this, how do you define digital materials? Now you've, of course, heard a little bit more about it, but we would love to hear just like, you know, how would you define it? And we're trying to collect a lot of these definitions so that we can understand how different people see different digital materials. And then so that we can make sure we're, you know, we're clear and we're talking about it in an, in an easy to understand way. So please, you know, feel free to, there's no right and wrong answers. Everything is anonymous. Feel free to participate in a conversation on Discord and 
well, tell us how you would define digital fabric. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Yeah. See you next time, people. All right. <laughs> See you next time. Thank you for listening to The Seamless Blend. If you enjoyed today's discussion, feel free to subscribe. We also invite you to connect with us and participate in our discussions on Discord. Let us know if you agree, disagree, or have any questions. Until next time, take care.